Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Lightning Dog, the official podcast, is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Lightning Dogs is conceived as an all-ages property, but these behind-the-scenes conversations are not all-ages. Listen in at your own discretion. Sometimes a great idea is truly like a bolt of lightning. And sometimes, if you're lucky enough, you can capture the exact moment that it strikes. That's what happened for us one fateful night while recording an episode of Nerdy Show. We accidentally launched a concept that derailed the entire show and in no time our lives. We couldn't stop talking about our favorite action figures and B-movies while twisting them into strange creatures, weird adventures, and dog puns. Lots of dog puns. This is the story of Lightning Dogs, a journey steeped in the glory of 80s and 90s animation and sci-fi, where anthropomorphic dogs tear through the wasteland of a ruined earth, battling mutants, miscreants, and the evil glampire. Coming soon to small screens, comic books, and podcasts. Or at least that's the goal. But how do you go from a crazy idea into a fully formed world of conflict and characters? How does a harebrained discussion become an animated cartoon series? That's what we're finding out firsthand. We've recorded the entire development of Lightning Dogs since day one, from the moment of conception to every world-building session and planning meeting, and the journey is still ongoing. Tune in as we create the world of Lightning Dogs live. Since Hex isn't here. Howl noise. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Tony. Hey, I'm Doug. This is a nerdy show presentation of Lightning Dogs. Lightning Dogs. All of Lightning Dogs as a concept has been happening live during these shows. On the mic. Yeah, very, very little has happened off the mic. It's a rare occasion where you get to see the behind the scenes before you get to see the scenes. <laughs> it's true. The, yeah. the fact that you can literally hear the moment where... Dare we say we caught lightning in a bottle? <laughs> like, it's the moment where we suddenly said, wait a minute, this is a great idea. The moment where we would really started to grow into something beyond I'm pretty sure most times us. we even say, wait a minute, hold on a second. Did you just say, wait, ooh. Yeah. We know that this is something special. So, obviously, we're going to keep working on it. That said, this is the last Lightning Dogs episode <gasps> as we know it. <laughs> <laughs> and then there were three. It had been several months since our prior recording, and in that time, we'd had the hard discussion of what exactly comes next for Lightning Dogs. We had some big plans. Plans that, as you'll come to find out, were too big. But before making that ill-fated announcement, we were ready to hunker down and record a two-part episode of Lightning Dogs, intended to be a blaze of glory before we'd go dark and re-emerge with the future of the series in hand. On the precipice of this transition, Doug, Tony, and I didn't yet know for certain that the Lightning Dogs creative team was down to just us. 
but that was the case. Brian and Hex had both gone into cryosleep and were drifting in deep space, away from Nerdy Show home base. What we did know, what we did know, was that we couldn't keep releasing our Lightning Dogs brainstorming recordings as episodes of Nerdy Show. It was way too confusing. What's happened here is I've just spent, I don't know, five minutes explaining to you what Lightning Dogs is. Yeah. That means that this concept has now reached the point where us doing these episodes, explaining these conceptual world-building things where you'll have to have listened to six episodes prior to really get the full gist of all these characters, we know that's not inclusive. And we know that that's not necessarily... Fun. Yeah, good, good radio. But what we're going to do is we're going to transmute the Lightning Dogs format. And you're still going to be getting this behind-the-scenes stuff just in a different way. But we'll worry about that later on. We'll talk about the future all in due time because right now we got to get back to the world of the wasteland. Yeah, yeah. And um, talk about our very own uh, warriors of that wasteland. Everybody all kibbled up? Kibbled up. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm well satiated. Thank you. Because I got, I got a water bowl in case anybody needs to. Needs I'm to begging oh, to get great. started. You're great, begging. grand. Okay, super. Let's go. Over these two episodes, we're going to talk about further establishing the world of the Wasteland, further establishing the conflict and the villains of the Lightning Dogs, and, um, well... Particularly Halloween Jack and, and Glampire. Yeah, yeah in, in this episode specifically. And uh, then we'll, we'll, we'll see where we go. So last time, we finalized the roster of the main heroes and, for the most part, their powers. Mm -hmm. um, in short, the Lightning Dogs are a group of anthropomorphic dogs who come from another world... But they're returning, they're returning home. Their home is the planet Earth a very long time in the future from now. And uh, they were once, you not see, exactly you lab animals, but... They were uh, pets. You could, you could be pets or lab animals from the colony. Of it, an interdimensional experiment, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And then were left there mysteriously by their masters only to evolve into a race of dog people who then took those artifacts and found their way back home only to find it a complete wasteland filled with mutants no humans to be seen. Except for David Bowie. Except for a creature who calls himself the Glampire and his minions. <laughs> who may or may not be David Bowie. He's not David Bowie, he's Glampire. You can keep saying that, Cap. I'm going to continue to believe that he is, in fact, David Bowie. He may be highly referential to a certain famous pop artist, but <laughs> that's another thing that we'll get more Glampire, into. Glampire is beyond... He's from somewhere beyond. It's he's something. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm describing David Bowie too. I don't. Know. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm just. I know we haven't addressed this directly, but does he have a minion named Major Tom? Actually, um, I did speculate that that would be the name tag on Space Boy. I am okay with that. It's, it's like origami, man. We're folding all together. <laughs> right. But um, but it's more than just that. It We've is. also got uh, a whole rogues gallery of mutants of rogues. and uh, crazy and cre animals, creatures, and, and a strange world, and turtles with crap on their back, and a, and <laughs> swords for hands. And so, does he have swords for hands? Did Captain Scrap have swords? He may for or hands? may not have a sword for a hand. What in the, in the first drawing of Captain Scrap that I did, he had one of his arms was like a nub with a with a rapier blade, essentially a rusty, crusty rapier blade. I do not remember that, and that is amazing. Because we're we're designing these creatures and these the characters go. to yeah. be the most extreme action figures of all time. We want you know classic era Ninja Turtle Playmates detail We've action got, like, figures. Flint sparks on these action can figures. We, can we get a Captain Scrap that you wind up put in the bathtub and he look, kicks his little feet along so you can move? That'll on. be the much maligned, not quite so high quality wind up, <laughs> wacky wind up. <laughs> That's going to be the dogs when we get into like the sixth season and networks restrictions are making us be more kid friendly. Very well. We're going to have those bath toys. This actually brings up a, a good point of discussion to start the episode with, which is the question of audience. Mm -hmm. Who are we making this show for? Now, Us. I suppose... <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we could look at it as 
oh, we legitimately want to turn it into an all-ages television show and then hopefully not fulfill the prophecy of the episode that Lightning Dogs came from, find it <laughs> you know, c- canceled abruptly, right. like Had Tron Legacy and Young right. Justice and Korra. Well, yeah, I, well, uh, well, Korra wasn't canceled. It wasn't, it wasn't canceled. It was just kicked off television. The answer like, might be on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, you it, know? it could be. I mean, we're forging ahead. This is the future. By the time that we're ready to do anything that high end with Lightning Dogs. TV may not even exist anymore. Yeah, exactly. It we'll, could all be on YouTube. We'll decide the audience and we won't have action figure sales or lack thereof dictating whether or not we'll be able right. to make a show. But that being said, I think Cap said it best a while back when he said that we're going for a kind of Legend of Korra where mm-hmm. it appeals to the children and adults. And, yeah. and even when you say children and adults, people think children who play with toys and adults who laugh at a joke every now and then when we really mean the full spectrum, even the teenagers in between. No, I, the tone, because this isn't so much audience, this is about tone, mm-hmm. is something where it's a simple enough plot to where kids can understand. Because mm-hmm. it's funny. Ultimately, it's, like, it's a dogs grand is, is a, is a yeah. comedy, except that it's not... A comedy. <laughs> but ultimately, it's one of those where character relationships and dynamics can evolve in a way that challenges the status quo that is a little bit more thought-provoking. That's what Avatar hit. That's what Legend of Korra hit. Now, right. obviously, those were just beautiful, some of the best television on, that's been around in the past 14 years. Mm-hmm. I would dare say we would compare it to Legend of Korra or the Harry Potter film series in the sense that it starts one way but it matures absolutely as it goes along and not because suddenly the tone of the show changes but just that the characters start growing and becoming more complex yep. it starts off like this okay you got six dogs on, a, on an alien planet and they're kicking butt and they're either oh, running this around is like road rovers yeah and they're like driving around these fancy cars Shut it. <laughs> you know and oh look that's kind of funny they're making a couple dog jokes here and there and oh they got a scary glampire guy chasing after them but I think the longer the show goes on, the more complex the relationships between these characters get where you become more deeply invested. Yeah. So by the time you get to the end of season three, season four, you're like getting choked up when someone may not make it, you know, or when... Uh, right. And you uh, haven't told me about this. And also similar to Adventure Time, which is... Yes, you know, like yes. It starts consistently lighthearted. It never loses its flavor, but it does get increasingly more complex. We just don't want it to get stale. It's right. not. It's not going to re- repeat just to sell and, cereal where it's like, oh, the new, you know, this so, week they're doing this and just over and over and, and over I th- again. Yeah, Pendleton Ward and crew perhaps do it best of anyone in that they create... Them Gravity Falls. They created a show that... Um, well, Gravity Falls... Alex Hirsch has this concept that's very insular, it's very creator-driven, but it's also confined. Like, okay. Gravity Falls is very confined. Adventure Time is boundless. And I think we're in a similar criteria with Adventure Time because we can do literally anything to the wasteland. Mm-hmm. Gravity Falls is confined to one weird town. True and enough. we've got the world. The entire planet. Yeah. Okay, yeah. No, um, I see where you're coming from with that analogy. Or even a multiverse. We don't really know where the dog planet's from. Uh, yeah, I was even going to say for when the show finally goes off the air and we're no longer in charge of it, and they say, well, can we have an idea for like another show to continue it? I'm like, well, you know, like when Power Rangers ended, they went Power Rangers in space. You know, they went <laughs> Lightning Dogs in space, Lightning Dogs, <laughs> Lightning Dogs interdimensional troop. You know, and just have different teams, different Stargate characters. Stargate Atlantis. Yeah, no, yeah. Could, there you go. Have, like, like the original Lightning Dogs pop in and look like a cameo. All kidding aside, the universe is that big where you no, could absolutely. do something like that. You could, in theory, do a whole. And I just thought of this: you could do a whole other show where you got Lightning Dogs over here doing the thing on Earth, and the second spinoff show is uh, the dogs that are back on the dog planet who after they lost contact with the lightning dogs are like, let's go build a rescue team and go after them, but we can't use the Farfetch. Let's build a spaceship. And they start going across the universe trying to get to Earth and all the different uh, voyages that they go on. Why not? Like, right. it's, you, you have so much stuff to mess with. Yeah, um, Dog trek. What is kind of angling towards the adventure time is that those guys 
have created a show that's so inspired by tabletop role playing and imagination and everything mm-hmm. that even with a show like Lightning Dogs, we can treat it the, the same way. It's easy for us to get hung up now that we've like established the core world and like really make it a hard sci-fi and be like, mm-hmm. oh, that doesn't make sense. But no, it's always got to have that campiness, that goofiness. You like, could go it's, anywhere. Yeah. It's a funky, weird show made out of funky, weird ideas. And where the first priority is, is it cool? Does it, it make the little kid in me go, ooh, I want a toy right, of that? Right. It's, yeah. it's either got to make you laugh or go, oh, my God, that's so ridiculously awesome. Or maybe even a little afraid if that's what the sell them sell them that and way. we can always justify it later right so this mm-hmm. episode so, we're going to be focused on the stuff that hasn't gotten the attention we're going to be talking about a lot of backstory a lot of the villains we got to flesh out glampire and his whole deal his minions and so on the world of the wasteland a little bit more and also uh the world of, of the dog world which i have been calling home earth is earth mm-hmm. so perhaps for dogs their world would be called home yeah it's like go home come on dog. you see if you see a dog in the street it's like go home buddy go home you know it's like it's a very common uh, dog command yeah 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 are we okay with calling earth e-a-r-f no because it's kind of like arf no yeah they but, would call it earth because that's what the masters called it and they have all the masters crap that they left behind someone's no, gonna Tony. have to call it earth somewhere i'm just saying we'll we'll have a will smith dog pop in no. in a later season welcome to earth <laughs> welcome to earth welcome to earth oh, okay <laughs> welcome to earth okay how about this <laughs> see see and you're laughing it's in it's, it's there somewhere halloween jack pops up for the first time and Dingo's like, ah, and he punches him right in the mouth. And he's like, oh, welcome to Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I think to get on point, what we need to discuss is the um, origins of uh, the origins uh, of, of the Go- Glampire. Glam- Glampire. Glampire is a figure based heavily off of the various persona of David Bowie. There's a lot to work with there. Obviously, we've borrowed pretty heavily from his song catalog for ideas. And yeah, fact. yeah, uh, maybe even a little too heavily. We got we maybe we might be dialing that back to, mm-hmm. depending also, on how we feel. And uh, every time I try to draw the character, I always start with the crotch. So <laughs> you start from the crotch, work your way out. Yeah, that's, from there because that's what you. Ha- that's how well, you that's, have that's to work with That's what we got first Bowie. and foremost. That's the most solid part's not going to change. <laughs> Everything else can change. He's eccentric, he's otherworldly, and he's lethal and, and vampiric. And um, he is an alien. He's not, he's not from Earth. And the uh, story we've kind of concocted for him so far as a little bit of a man who fell to Earth vibe, except in this one, he's not someone who's looking for, say, I believe in Man Who Fell to Earth, it was water to save his, his desolate, waterless world. This is a creature who was ejected from his world because... He was bad. Yeah. You know, maybe he was a revolutionary. He's very passionate about mm-hmm. returning home. He's charismatic, too. Yeah. So thought just occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Instead of a revolutionary, instead of somebody who was fighting against an established system, why not the ruler of this planet? Because, Cap, you use the, like word, you use the term ejected. Yeah, he, he, like he's, he's, he's already, he has proven that he has leadership capabilities, because obviously he's the leader of these forces on Earth. He is the leader of this evil coalition. Okay, I, I, I see where you're going, but I just really quick need to say, can we think of any time in human history where a dictator was overthrown, successfully overthrown, and they let him live? This is in human history. Uh, okay, I'm I mean, with you. I'll keep going, if, keep going. If, I'm if listening. We, if we were to believe that Glampire was a bad man yeah. in, on, in outer space, I mean, he's definitely a bad man on Earth, but in outer space, if, if, from his home planet, if he was a bad person, right. then perhaps those who would overthrow him would let him live because what was overthrowing him was the antithesis was the good of Glampire. However, mm. I don't really know. I don't really know how well, I feel. But, well, he, how he got off of that planet, I don't think is as important as his situation once he lands on Earth. Now, if he was a bad guy, mm-hmm. no matter where he's from, 
if he had control over those minions that were kind of, like I said before, they were kind of scroll-ish. Mm -hmm. If um, Halloween Jack, let's just say, is kind of like that. Because I was looking back to the previous episodes, I'm thinking, man, one or the other, they both sound great. What should it be? Then I thought, is there a way we can merge it? So this is my pitch to merge both origin stories and still have it make sense. Okay. All right, kid, you got 30 seconds. So the idea is the Glampire's kicked off his planet, mm -hmm. whether because he's a bad guy and he's been kicked off by other bad guys or whatever. Either way, he's kicked to Earth. He had an army of those minions mm -hmm. with him, but they're not going to just drop him off with his army because no, that's, that's, you know, that, yeah. So they're going to say, okay, Glampire, we're throwing you the furthest planet away from our solar system as possible, and it can barely sustain life. It's just a barren thing with, like, ape-like creatures. You're going to be the only intelligent thing on there. Boom, we drop him there, and that's it. Their technology is way far behind. You're never going to catch up to us. That's <laughs> it. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, goodbye. The Glampire army, they get sent into basically the Phantom Zone or some mm -hmm. other planet where there's just nothing there. Like it's a, a giant prison planet, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Sending them there using far-fetched technology. Mm -hmm. Glampire sits on Earth, waits, sees time go by, and to his delightful surprise, he f sees that humans are advancing really quickly to the point where they're going to build the warp gate technology similar to what brought him to earth in the first place and then when they activate it he brings them in he yeah. brings his team back he brings his army back which you know that could tie in with my pitch of him being the dictator of this planet because if you were to remove this head of power he wouldn't just be just himself he'd have a cadre yeah of advisors also we hinted that human history very suddenly was interrupted like yep. they were they were doing very well and then exploring gone. yeah exploring the stars and then something big and bad happened very suddenly and that would be oh oh this is yeah yes doug yes i'm gonna let you because, you guys finish by yeah. the way i'm gonna let you finish okay yeah <laughs> all right all right cap yeah all right cap, so what we're gonna say yeah 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 <laughs> What happened with the dogs? The dogs were the initial tests of this far-fetched technology because it's not like they're immediately going to perfect it, right? The dogs in this distant planet where the dogs wind up, that's the initial tests. That's, you know, moving to live testing. They send a dog, then they send a, a team, and they have discovered how this technology works, and that's when the Glampire strikes. That's when he yeah. uses the technology. That's when... Once it's proven that it works, yeah. As we've established in other episodes, the dogs rediscover this tech. You know, that's how they get to Earth. Yeah. What is Glampire's endgame? Because after he gets that, why doesn't he keep using it? What do, you, what do you mean? Why doesn't he just go back to his home planet? Yeah. Because, because humans fight back. They're not going to let him. They don't want him to do it. They, like, as soon as he starts showing up with it. they lose. Yeah. So, after they lose... Why doesn't he just hop through a gate and go? Why doesn't he just hop through a gate and go? You could say that, much like the lightning dogs, the lightning dogs follow in their footsteps. The, the humans said, this is an endgame. We're going to shut down. Which is why the dogs were stranded in the first place. Mm -hmm. Humans say, we're calling everyone back. We're destroying each of these gates because we cannot afford to have this guy catch on and get away. Then how does it reactivate? One's, obviously, one was left behind. Deep underground, in a bunker somewhere. That Glampire just doesn't know about. Okay, there we go. Here's where I'm going to butt in. Okay. <laughs> I think I have a good direction for this, but let's first talk about one of the, the core MacGuffin of Lightning Dogs, because that does tie into everything we're talking about right now, which is the crystals. Mm -hmm. In the past, we joked about, oh, there's crystals around. They use them to power their guns and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, Doug, I know for a fact you've got some thoughts yeah. on these crystals. There's oh, one yeah. of the few things we talked about in between shows, and that is that the crystals are a naturally occurring resource on the Lightning Dogs' homeworld. Mm -hmm. um, That's why we originally go. Yeah. But they're also the key ingredient for the far-fetched technology to begin with. Mm -hmm. They don't naturally occur on Earth. They do naturally occur on, on that world. Planet. 
which is and because they have mysterious properties they're also one of the things that have led the dogs to evolve so quickly Mm -hmm. before earth as a wasteland has deteriorated completely Mm -hmm. yeah and glampire meanwhile is trying to manufacture those crystals Mm -hmm. because they don't grow on earth yeah, he's, you're like, why doesn't he just go back? Well, he's going to. <laughs> yeah, he's just biding his time. He's got these crystalline spiders that we haven't fully explained yet that create the diamond dog. I already thought of a reason on how they work and why they're important, but continue. Um, and uh, and, and it takes <laughs> hundreds of years. It takes hundreds of years for these crystals to grow. So, like one of the inciting incidents is for that the, the, the conflict, lightning dogs steal the crystals. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Glampire's less interesting as a general Zod figure and more interesting as this Machiavellian influencer because he remember he's been on earth for an extremely long time mm-hmm. so he's made a career out of manipulating humanity probably longer than he was alive on his home planet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's been a pop star he's been <laughs> a wealthy entrepreneur probably several times over he's constantly reinventing himself because obviously he can't let humanity know that he's not one of them mm-hmm. so he's been a predatory vampiric creature lurking in the background manipulating human culture for his time so it would only stand to reason that once we got to the point where we were capable of manufacturing these crystals synthesizing the crystals he would have been one of the chief people lending money into that project that's a very good point yes investing Mm -hmm. in this project so what all of a sudden he's created is he's created a resource by which humanity can solve the energy crisis let's assume that uh that as much green energy as we can make now still isn't enough and that the entire global economy needs this energy source but it's commoditized and then one country figures out a way to use the crystals to locate more crystals naturally occurring elsewhere when they synthesize them based on glampire's money being like you know you should really look into this um (laughs) and just saying guys one word crystals maybe you can use the crystals to uh, to find more crystals. Wouldn't that be funny? And they're like, oh, good good idea, investor guy. Okay, cool. And uh, they do... Mr. Investor Guy. Mm-hmm. They do find more crystals. But what happens, well beyond Glampire's control, and maybe even as a result of him getting so excited that he pushes the envelope too far and tries to stimulate this global economy of crystals and so on, essentially World War III breaks out, and it's a commodity war over these crystals. And uh, destructive forces lay waste to the entire planet. I mean, like nuclear weapons we don't even know about yet. Weapons um, using crystals. Weapons using no, crystals. That's a scary so, ass thought. So, <laughs> based on what we've already discussed for the crystals. So, naturally, the whole project gets shut down. And a glampire, all of a sudden, he's heading like peace rallies, trying to be like, no, 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 don't do this. Oh, my <laughs> God. And uh, all we are saying is leave the crystals alone. Basically, <laughs> give uh, them to me. <laughs> a, an, an ugly situation happens on Earth. It's his fault. And right. he didn't even want it to happen. Yeah. So where we have glampires, he's an evil person. He's a manipulator. He is a vampire in every sense of the word. But his goals are continually, tragically unrealized. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get to have an army. He assembles his army after he's like, well, fuck it. Humanity's gone. I can leave this charade. So uh, all these creatures that have crawled out of the muck here, this is all I have left. Fine. Let's do so this. He's and, passive aggressive and bitter. You know, I'll take all that humanity built, all that I help them build, and I'm going to be the one who forges this. You know, I didn't see the point in being president of the United States. I was instead throwing money around, making it count, you know, influencing technology. But instead, here I am. I'm going to be king of the world and I'm going to get home and I'm going to take this army that I'm building from the ground up, maybe even with characters like Queen Lich, genetically from mm-hmm. the ground up. Mm-hmm. I'm finally in a position where. I'm going to rule. He maybe hasn't had this inkling 
since back in like the early medieval times, maybe when he rolled like the Huns or something like right, that. Right, right. You know, like it's never felt quite like this again, where he's like, I have both all this technology and none of the society. Just as a, as a piggyback off that, because I still like the idea of him having this history of doing this on his home planet, and that's why he was getting out. Right, because you were saying, oh, you don't want to do a General Zod. That's kind of what I was pitching, but I agree that it needed something. I think instead of General Zod, we need to think of him more, what if General Zod landed on Earth and became Dr. Doom? Uh-huh. So it's like, this is a man, for all intents and purposes, he pushed humanity forward with money, and he's, and then he could... What's not to say in the distant future, this guy is so rich, he buys his own country and then it says, okay, we're doing this, we're researching the crystal technology, we're doing all this forward, and then shit happens. The one thing that I still got a question about in terms of him being like heavily involved with humans and and trying to make these deals and stuff is if humanity destroys itself, that's the big irony that it's just like, fuck, no, like he made this delicate plan and then, but then humanity just destroyed itself. But the thing that I liked about the idea of humanity going into the stars and spreading out was that our sin was that we went too far and then we uncovered something like this cosmic evil that we weren't prepared to face that was glampire but because we had spread ourselves too far we just announced to the universe hey earth is here and then something like glampire shows up and humanity goes no back off shut the fucking thing down because we don't know what else is out there but it's too late and so instead of humanity getting like angry at itself and bombing itself out of existence it suddenly is this big war that if all of humanity is somehow united, that can be something that when the lightning dogs come back, they're like, oh my gosh, the masters are doing so good. We need to fight Glampire. Whereas if they come back and Glampire is like, I didn't do it. They blew themselves up. It's like, oh man, then the masters kind of suck. You, you know, should and definitely the, tell them that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm torn. I'm torn on one what of the ultimate is, fate of humanity is. It's one of those that one of these is more interesting. Ooh, I think it's a more interesting fate that humanity blew itself up. I think that's the more poetic. Because here's the thing. Them versus Glampire, the way the Cap described it, that's a far more interesting arc for Glampire, and it leads to some campy humor that we can throw in there where he's just like, no, 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 in that, that moment. Also, when the lightning dogs do get there, they're going to see this war. They're going to assume that they were fighting Glampire. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Glampire is going to sit there and tell them, no, they blew themselves up, you idiots. They're not going to trust him. He's the villain. Right. He's, that's exactly what a villain them. would say. <laughs> the other thing was we talked before about the, the Halloween abortions until we have a better name for them. I was going to call them the freaks. I have a good name for them. It's what? another thing I stole from David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> then what? What did it tell it's, us? It's, it's another thing from, from Diamond Dogs, the album, which I completely forgot about. Peepaloids. Pe- oh, God. That's a good name. That's that's like, a but, good. but here's... Okay, so my... This this could help probably help because I was trying to think of like what's the explanation for the peepaloids, the, the, these freaks, what you know, like what... Mm-hmm. what's the fucking deal? Like, you know, like, they're so messed up. Where do they come from? How come you can get Captain Scrap over here, but then you got Spider Guy, you know, with a weird freak face over here? Like, how does one make sense, and why does the other not? This, again, sort of was bouncing off the scroll idea that I had, where if he was bringing in some another race of aliens, which I guess I have to backpedal and explain what that was, but I'll do that later. If he puts Halloween Jack in mm-hmm. charge, he's like, Halloween Jack, you got to keep the troops in line. I got a system here. We're going to grow these crystals and then we're going to make it back to my planet and we're going to kick ass and rule the world. What? Now, if Halloween Jack's sort of job, then he becomes kind of like Saruman mm-hmm. where he's got to raise the army. Okay. He starts growing these freaks. Like he starts getting some of the monsters that are running around the wasteland, combining them, hitting them with lasers in special ways. And you get these weird freaking monsters that don't really have a brain. They're kind of like cave trolls, you know, from like Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings. They're just kind of like big monsters that can come in and wreck shit up. 
Okay. And you can get the spindly, spidery guys to be like the really quick, you know, jumping around guys that you can't really get a, get a, a handle on. They're sort of a, different uh, enemy types. Yeah, different enemy types because you got the basic foot soldier like the putty, yeah. right? Which could be like these alien creatures. Mm-hmm. Then when you need somebody who's the quick guy that even Spider. Pierre, the, yeah, the guy that Pierre's got to fight who's not really good, like the parkour expert. That's the spider guy. And then you got to get the big giant fat cyclops coming in, who's the big fat tank who uh, is gonna. It's it's like Hulk versus Hulkbuster armor with uh, Angela. No, you know, I'm, just, I'm picturing the the fight because obviously Pierre's gonna be the mouth sitting there like, yeah, it's a lot easier to jump around. We got four fucking legs. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that was my idea on how mm-hmm. to make all this match so that it's not just like these weird freaks. And also that played on the thing that Cap suggested when we were talking about these the, these freaks for the first time was that what if they're somehow native to the world. And the lightning dogs stumble across a whole bunch of them. It's like, whoa, it's like a little hidden village of them mm-hmm. where they're they're just naturally living there. They're not like uh, militarized. Like they're just living there, making little freak babies and stuff. And yeah. you get this weird thing where it's like, wait a minute, I thought these guys were our enemy. But it's like, no, they're being raised and captured and like forced to fight along with Glampire's minions. And I think that's kind of cool because that, once again, is expanding this world. Like mm-hmm. you it's not just, oh, you're either working for Glampire or you're working for the Lightning Dogs. It's like there's stuff that's in between that you'll never know all about. Glampire and his whole minion setup, I mean, it's like any feudal situation. If you want power, if you want wealth, if you want security, you're going to roll with an army. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, everybody else is just dirt. Yeah. And so, I mean, whether or not there's any eugenics program going on during any of this, regardless, by the time the Lightning Dogs get there... There's an army There's freaks, of, yeah. Yeah, it's medieval warfare. It's, I mean, obviously Lightning Dogs is highly influenced by Mad Max. It's the fucking guy with the hockey mask, you know, and his yeah. crew just rolling up away. on stuff. Yeah, yeah, just walk away. To tie back humongous, just, you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. humongous, yeah. <laughs> the Ayatollah of rock and roll, as they call him. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to tie back for a second with the humanity thing and what I was getting yes, at. Yes, yeah. It's not only a more compelling story for the Glampire, it's a more compelling story for our heroes mm-hmm. to then be confronted with the fact that their masters are flawed. Well, that was why the they bad masters were going to come in. Well, yeah, but this could tie into that. This could tie into maybe, you know, because we were talking about that as a late game thing. That's true, yeah. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's mid. Mm-hmm. Maybe that helps them kind of realize that maybe there is a seed of truth to what Glampire has been saying about who they've been chasing. Yeah. I and mean, then... We could even have as a disc jockey, Wolfman Jack start sharing some news reports that he would have broadcast. Yeah, I just I feel like that's starting to get a little dark though. Nuclear apocalypse is always getting a little. So it's kind of a bummer. We can we can, like well you know we can also we can gloss over it just as they ended you know they destroyed themselves. I think it's a more compelling story. It's a less no, camping I, story, I, but I, it's I a totally, more compelling I, story. I totally see the, the validity of that and how that makes a good story arc, especially well, for, the, for the Lightning Dogs to discover that and then start questioning all that stuff. I just don't know if that's going to get too heavy too quickly. because well, if it's also not something that we need to get into ever. We know it, and the people who are listening to this behind the scenes know it. But as far as the average public is concerned... But they'll want to know. Like they're, Eventually, if, yeah. If they say, wait, we got, they had the far-fetched technology, well, what the hell happened? Well, we don't really discuss that. Then it's like, well, what a what a bait and switch, you know? Like, what is, we're 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 making a lot of promises on, especially with like with Wolfman Jack. It's like, so Wolfman Jack, tell us what do you remember about it? Oh, I don't know. You know, it's like, come on, dude, you were there. You know, like I mean, he, not, I, well, he we've got an out for him. He's got a corrupted memory. Yeah, that's we've true. also he's, it's yeah, something he's, he's where we know it, and it's something we can explore. But it's not going to be too dark too quick because we can get to that in good time. And until then, it's fun, it's campy, and as far as the rest of the world is concerned. I mean, wouldn't you accept the idea? Well, how about, because this, how about was... this? Maybe this will fix things a little bit. So we talked about an alien invading race mm-hmm. via Glampire. We talked about Glampire pushing humanity in the direction of getting the crystals and everything. 
talked about maybe making the war happen because of a uh, uh, an energy shortage because the crystals are a perfect solution, but they're a limited solution, mm-hmm. and that anyone who 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 gets access to more crystals ultimately holds too much power, and that's very compelling, but maybe too challenging to express in the show. Yeah, yeah, because um, at the end of the day, it's a cartoon too, you know, like right. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What if in the process of unlocking the far-fetched technology, they find something that they should not? It's not related to Glampire at all. He realizes just how dangerous what he's been doing is. But he was pushing them, and he was pushing them, and he was pushing them. Yeah. And it's his fault. You wield it like a, a kid who's found his dad's gun. Yeah. <laughs> to quote Jurassic Park. <laughs> so I don't know what it is. And will there be any signs of them left on Earth? But like, you know, something happens, something that destroys. There is absolutely a sign of them left on Earth. Space Boy. Why is Glampire so fucking terrified of yeah. Space Boy? If Space Boy was like an astronaut they sent up to go through, you know, a he discovered hole, it. And he comes back and he's space boy. He's no longer an astronaut and he's a freak monster. Then all the humans are going, nope, that's it. Shut this whole thing down. It's gone bad. And Glampire's like, no, no, no. You can't shut this thing down. Just one slip up is not that big of a thing. But then, of course, space boy starts walking around on Earth and holy shit, things go bad. But doesn't that make space boy less scary if he's an ultimate destructor? We can't use him the way we designed him to be. Right. Um, But that also depends on when we reveal the origin of space boy. Because again, if well, he is, the original idea was that Space Boy doesn't even have to show up until after the Lightning Dog show. What if, Sp- <laughs> what, if- oh what if Space Boy is like Tall Man from Phantasm? How do you mean? If you'd like, because Tall Man, when you first introduce him, oh, it's like it's some kind of creepy like Crypt Keeper mess going on. He's robbing graves and stuff. Then you find out, no, nah, he's compressing cadavers into horrible midgets to work in high gravity areas, and he's actually helping pave the way for the colonization of Earth between <clears throat> interdimensional portals. I don't know how familiar you guys are with Phantasm. I'm not very familiar. It's, it's one of the most brilliantly convoluted horror films of all time. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so it's a way to take something that's like a very solitary kind of horror and also combine it with a global threat sci-fi because Tall Man is an emissary in a lot of ways. It's just something far bigger. So Space Boy could be a part of a part of something larger and then something left behind. Right. Um, but also, I mean, the world needs to be ruined. Like there needs to be a war, you know, it needs to be a transformative, destructive war well, to, to continue. Yeah. Lightning Dogs is based on a rich history of the nuclear apocalypse. The source material we were pulling from when we created it was pulling off of Mad Max and Fallout 
and uh, you know, and everything else of that ilk of that nuclear. Well, I think, I, think, I think one of the problems we're running into right now is these are all really good ideas. Yeah, it's like trying to pick the. Do we want? You know, then, then let's do this. Let's look at them instead of merits of the storytelling. What is the most fun? What is the most easy to understand? And what is the simplest? I mean, what do we want this story to be? Because, like we've been saying, this is as as big as we want it to be. Right. And, and I, we can make it big clearly. Right. I'm just thinking in terms of a big world-ending thing. It doesn't have to be a nuclear apocalypse. It could be a crystal apocalypse. Here's the, my thing with with a nuclear apocalypse, like uh, literally using nukes, is that it would destroy a lot of infrastructure the lightning dogs wouldn't be able to play around in. And it would, like, radiate a lot of stuff that you wouldn't be able to really walk around even after a thousand years. But if this is some sort of crystallized weapon apocalypse... Who's to say, the, you know, we could change the rules to be whatever we want so that anything could be left behind? As long as there's a, an opportunity for, you know, genes being scrambled. That's purely what we've already discussed the crystals can do, especially on the dog planet. They start evolving way faster. And if and you I mean, drop a bomb of it on something, who knows what will happen? What about having a nuclear reactor but crystals and Glampire's intentionally trying to, like, it's his big show. It's like, Check out this thing I've funded. It's free energy for the world. It's the biggest motherfucking crystal anybody's ever seen. I can't fucking wait to open up that portal. Ha, right, ha, ha. right. And then he turns it on, and it's not even supposed to open up a portal, but it just, like, rips a hole in space and time. Because he went too fast with building the technology. He didn't have the technology to actually support it. He didn't right. have the infrastructure. He just yeah. had the end result. Much and, like Half-Life. And what comes out of it is, we talked about Elder God stuff in the past. I don't think we need to leave right into that. If anything, that's like... Uh, but let's say, like, we could either... Just bad stuff. Either humanity destroys itself fighting a war with a monster, mm -hmm. or it opens a portal, something terrifying is seen, they shut it down, they can't shut it down, it, it's gone too far, and it creates this disaster that maybe causes a chain reaction and similar things. Like, all of a sudden, like, every crystals are resonating with this energy, and it just implosions all over the world, depending on how mm -hmm. intense the network is. And the one thing that saves certain things being generated, anything underground, is it's all surface stuff. Anything that was set up with the infrastructure on the surface is blown to bits. There's but, a lot of underground stuff but, still around. Yeah, any, anything underground is still operational. That could be something, because it's also a matter of using like a pure crystal, like a naturally growing crystal, the problem with Glampire is that he was too impatient and he used the artificially grown crystals and he artificially grew something so big. It's like, well, the artificial one will be good enough. You know, it only needs I, to work once. Maybe that's how he learned his lesson. Yeah, like that's yeah. why he's waiting hundreds of years to do it now yeah. because... This is going to seem a weird question. Why are we making Glampire so compelling a character? And the reason I ask, <laughs> well, no, I mean, genuinely, the reason I ask, if we're, if we're basing this off of the 80s and 90s cartoon shows that we all grew up on that we all love, some of the most iconic villains, Mumra, the ever-living Skeletor, Megatron, they're just bad, none of yeah. these were very compelling characters, I, but I, they I, were so iconic because they were just, they, they weren't so much uh, a stereotype as they were an archetype. Yeah, I, to be clear, I don't think we need to have any redemptive qualities to Glampire if he's just like, I just want to save my people. I just want to go home and, and, and do what's right. It's like, that's a little, you know, then it's suddenly like, well, shit, now who am I supposed to be rooting for? Like all he, mm -hmm. if he, you know, he is trying to kill the lightning right. dogs, but if he, you know, yeah, I, if, if he is a bad guy I mean, and he is well, selfish. The thing about you know, Sinestro, Sinestro is a terrible person. Sinestro right. is fucking evil. Right. Sinestro thinks he's the hero of his own story. Right. We've compared Korra in Avatar The Last Airbender. Fire Lord Ozai is... Almost exactly what we've described. He, he rose to power in very Machiavellian ways because he's the second-born son of a royal family, so in order to get to the point where he could take a position of power, he had to poison his father against his brother, 
and then poison his father to kill him. And and he is. I don't think we're making Glampire too relatable. I think ultimately no, he's I, he's an evil person. I don't necessarily mean relatable. I just mean he's got a very rich backstory. He's got a very very rich because I mean we are we are coming up with a lot. Well, we're still of figuring it out. We got, no, we got, we got, we got we've got a lot of do. options. We've got a lot of options. And I say we err to the side of simple. The thing that we liked about Glampire was the tone of his character, mm-hmm. the design in our mind's eye, like yeah. the, the very flamboyant, flamboyantly reserved, outwardly yeah, flamboyant, yeah. but it's that somebody who shows regal, up to the party, very regal and just sort of conceited, but he deserves it. You no, know? it's it's that guy who shows up to a party dressed like a pink flamingo, but talks like he's just wearing slacks. I didn't see you there. He's better than you. Absolutely. Is the idea, you know? And uh, thank you for recognizing that, Douglas. <laughs> Let's just think about what it was about the character that we liked, even when we didn't even have a backstory. We liked where he ended up. We liked where the story begins. Mm-hmm. He's in like a castle of some kind that he probably built like a palace and he's, he's living large. He's living large with his robot all th- butler. All things considered. <laughs> yeah. Living in a wasteland, he's, you know, there's not much to Living large, do. thinking dark thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Very I, brooding. So far, love his cohorts. Last episode, we talked about the robot butler. Mm-hmm. Robot mm-hmm. butler is absolutely staying. Nagel, mm-hmm. what can we do to take elements of the backstory that we have just spent Quite a bit of time postulating. I think the problem is that I don't think there's going to be any backstory that's as interesting as who Glampire is at the start of the story. I mean, the thing is, we're going through all this now, so we, us here, feel like we can move forward. Yeah. That's the difference. How much of this we actually see on screen is all based on the kind of stories we end up wanting to tell. If there's ever a good reason for the Lightning Dogs to actually discover what happened, because the entire show is from the lightning dog's perspective Mm -hmm. so what they learn about Glampire is either what people tell them, and there's not going to be accurate representations of that, or what they learn. Here's what we do know. Uh-huh. We know where Glampire begins. Uh-huh. As far as his backstory is concerned, we know he's been on Earth for a very long time. Yep. We know that he's familiar with humans and how humans work and the folly of man and blah, blah, blah. We know that he likes crystals. We know that he likes the crystals. We know that he most likely had a hand in the fall of man, whether that's by pushing them too far or going up against them directly. That's still kind of hazy. We don't have to know that, I don't think. He does have an army now, whether he had it before or whenever, that's still... we got Inconsequential. Doesn't really matter as far as the lightning dogs are concerned, as, as far as we can start the story. And that he wants to go back home. His goal is he wants to grow the crystals... So that he can go back Slowly, home. delicately, deliberately, so that he has the right stuff to finally make it back home. And it's a very delicate plan, because now that mankind is gone, no one can build these machines anymore... Halloween Jack sure is fucking going to build him because he's, you know, he, there's most no, he can do is sma- smash no a spider a sci- on top of somebody's face. Yeah, no one's a scientist on this planet anymore. <laughs> you, you, you see what I'm saying? Except like, Queen Lich. Except, except Queen, Queen Lich. Lich. And scientist. Queen Lich doesn't give a shit. I mean, obviously, the shadowy hand of the Glampire through Earth's history, just yeah. so that we can have the Bowie references we and want. It, and it's okay to keep him mysterious for a while because mm-hmm. it, I don't want to ruin anyone's views of like what they thought he really is bringing to the table. No, absolutely. And then... The idea that they do tap into something otherworldly. I like the idea that this character, Major Tom, sacrifices himself. And this was just something that I was sitting on a little bit. The idea that he sacrifices himself to contain this breach somehow. And that's one of the reasons he is what he is, because he is otherworldly. And I mean, it it explains why it's trapped within the spacesuit. Maybe it was an experimental spacesuit that was designed specifically. Whatever. Yeah, uh, Space Boy was always going to be a late game addition anyway. And just something that was hinted at and seen throughout and that was terrifying. So we have that. We have the fact that he guided it to this point that broke. That caused a war of some kind. We don't need to necessarily know what kind of war. We just need to know how it ends with the crystals destroying the surface. Imagine, if you will, the way that Glampire, as a business person, was going about creating this relay system for free energy for everyone Mm -hmm. was 
some design by which there were hubs all over the world. He co-financed them with different governments and so on. And then the channeling rod was a large crystal matrices in orbit. Okay. And this will tie in with something that I'm going to talk about much later in the episode, but I'll get to that in due time. Instead of having like one central power battery, some big accident that happens on the planet, it's, it's above it's the one planet. that happens above the planet and, and involves an, an energy shockwave because it was already sending energy down all these places. It happens all over the world. And then as one would suspect in the wake of this global disaster, people start War erupt. Yeah, people start pointing blame at different people. Nuclear war immediately. They don't have anything to lose. Even just war. Yeah. Whatever kind of war. Big bad war, sudden global catastrophe. Big bad shadow and war. And there's people who are to blame, chiefly, you know, whatever government, probably America, the Glampire was representing at the time. Um, I dig it. No, and especially, I like the idea of the, just tying in with nuclear warfare, you don't detonate it on the ground because you lose half the payload. It goes right at, you know, just, and then you're only getting what goes up. You detonate it in the air. All that aside, the biggest question that remains is, what is Halloween Jack? Where does he come from? Why does he work for Glampire? Well, before we tackle that particular issue, let's go to the fans. After our last double dose of Lightning Dogs, we had an incredible fan response in the forums. So we got some shout-outs about Lightning Dogs from David Crane, who commented, he said, Crazy idea. Lightning Dogs, the radio play. Perhaps as part of a fundraiser? Further, imagine if the Protoman did the Lightning Dogs theme song. Oh, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. But uh... that, that's something, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just going to say, that's something I can get behind. I, I'm going to say, David, you're a good egg. <laughs> and uh, I like the way you think. great minds as they say think alike more later more to come you're on the right track <laughs> leave it at that for now <laughs> and don't confuse this australian accent for me auditioning for the role of dingo yeah i don't know what you're doing pal it's just a thing robert stoneback said here's for more lightning dogs it may not be a show yet but it's already a better cartoon than road rovers noise <laughs> that's unfortunate to say but it's true and uh simon newell who is a, uh, a frequent fan artist for nerdy show related stuff New he, Roswell. Is that his name on Trench and Tony live streaming? That is. Okay, well, Simon, he sent us a ton of awesome fan art and uh, some letters to go along with it. He says, it's been a while since I did more Nerdy Show-related artwork. As Trench and Tony will tell you, I have an unhealthy obsession with lightning dogs, and I berate yep. them about it on the live stream at every opportunity <laughs> ad nauseum. I really like Captain Scrap and Halloween Jack. Neither had many sketches. I sketched them both up. And you can see all this fan art at uh, lightningdogs.com. There's a link at the bottom that says fan art do it to it went on to give some thoughts to jack's weapons since he's going to fight the team outside of vehicles as well as in them all my ideas were pretty close to hobgoblins weapons also of course he has halloween in his name i also like the pun jackhammer so i threw in some designs for halloween sledgehammers yeah those are pretty cool yeah i am so entirely on board with that that i am appropriating them yeah it's a it's pretty good simon it's pretty good man <laughs> it's really really good um, <laughs> we should have thought of it I caught myself thinking about Halloween Jack and his minions. Previously, the name Halloween Abortions was used to describe them, <laughs> which I didn't expect to, us to keep. It was a joke. And I, I know, but, well, I, but, but we, we had no point of reference before, but now we do. It's not, it's not uh, going to be the real name. Definitely not going to be the real yeah, name. Definitely but, not. But until we um, find that out. It was such a perfect embodiment, though, of what they were. Right, and right. It conjures exactly the right mental image. Uh, I'm not sure if this is any good, but seeing as his gang might need a name, I thought it might be fitting for it to be Halloween Jack and his skeleton crew. That's yeah. not bad. It's got I, a ring to it. I thought it kept well with both the punk apocalypse and Halloween vibe that Jack is described as having. And yeah, it does. So please use Skeleton Crew or any of the other ridiculous I come up with. I consider it closer to an honor than anything else. He also suggested that uh, Jack might need a second in command or two. 
keeping with the Halloween theme, he came up with a homicidal mutant clown named Gutbuster. There's a sketch in the uh, in the fan art. Ob- obvious double meaning intended. And yes, punchline was considered as an alternative. I approve. He's a scary clown with a bunch of bandages on his abdomen and a tentacle arm. Arm of tentacles, actually. He says the bandages are mostly out of his midsection, but I honestly thought something weird like a giant mouth or another massive tendrils could be underneath it. Then again, I only gave him the tentacle originally because I couldn't draw his other arm for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> That's how most good art is born. Accidents, yeah. It's all good. Does Jack need another subordinate? A witch or warlock, perhaps? As we've already got liches, glampires, and werewolves would be redundant. Maybe a scheming manipulator like Tarantulas or Starscream? Other than that, more love to the villains or non-team members did a sketch of the Japanese ninja cats. While picking a cat to draw, I thought of the name Tiger Lily and went with it. She's one of my favorite sketches so far, particularly because I never found it easy to draw female characters. Howl Noise, Simon Newell. <laughs> Howl Noise. <laughs> Good. I like it. Simon, man, you, uh, you knocked it out of the park with those. Man, we got to... Mm, Simon, those are good ideas. Those are really good ideas, man. We'll talk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we love Halloween Jack's Halloween theme with these other freaks and creatures and everything like that. I don't want to mess with that too much because it's such a strong visual and dare I say it's getting more unique the more we talk about it. <laughs> right. But the one thing that I really liked in my head canon that I liked for Halloween Jack was that he looked less human and more space orc space goblin something that kind of mixed an old and new vibe whereas his costume his attitude is all halloween but in terms of like when you look at him he doesn't look like a halloween abortion himself he's more of like a pointy-eared i don't want to riff on the hobgoblin spider-man thing so much but is something a more old-fashioned orcish we have a very strong unified mental image of what the glampire is i don't think right we all see him pretty much the same way. Yeah. Halloween Jack, it sounds like we all have very different yeah, ideas. Yeah, and that, that's what's, that's what's I, crazy. I picture him as almost this rockabilly dude with a pumpkin head. It was just a, a design that I was just dicking around with, and I've fallen in love with it because I just, I love the idea. Do you have a drawing? I had a picture of it somewhere. And I've been really into Halloween Jack as, uh, I mean, again, rockabilly still, but like a rockabilly ghoul. He's got this like, jack-o'-lantern sleeveless jacket right. he's got but see the thing, the thing was suspenders all, all of see i like the costume it's just that when you get to his head he just looks like a dude the more creature he kind of gets the more interested i become because if anything looks too much like a person i'm immediately going to start thinking well where did where did he come from like is he from earth or like what's what's his deal which is why we moved away from the ghoul thing in the first place right. because I we mean, didn't want to suggest that they're all people and he's not particularly intelligent or even particularly special he's just maybe better than most right because like we said in the previous episode he's like goldar from power rangers he is better than most but not by much but he treats it as if he's the chosen one. You know, like, he is the I leader. am your lord and savior. Bow right. down before Halloween Jack. One of the reasons that I gravitate toward the design of the, the pumpkin-headed guy for Halloween Jack is just the, the contrast. It's a good visual, because we you, you mentioned, you know, you don't want the body to lead up just to a dude's head. Mm-hmm. So you've got this kind of lean, because I, I picture him tall, I picture him spindly. Yeah. Because he's got to stand out from a crowd. And I'm on board. That sounds exactly like what I was going for, except for the pumpkin head. But then you have that contrast because it's just like, boom. Now, you know what? If we can talk about splitting the difference, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't mind him having a helmet that's like a fucking pumpkin. Yeah. That he doesn't take off. And when he does, he just he's a freak underneath. Yeah. Then then we see that he's nothing special. Yeah. That would be entertaining. That could be because, interesting, yeah. Yeah, because he... Why does he get to wear the big helmet? Shut up, I'm Halloween Jack. <laughs> All right, yeah, boss. <laughs> and then just 
Fight, 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 dunk. You're just a fucking dude. You're one of us. Oh, whatever. I'm better than you. <laughs> no, I'm not. I you got know, bigger you know tusks be, than you do. Dude, you know what might be pretty interesting? If the lightning dogs ever beat Halloween Jack, whoever puts that helmet on is Halloween Jack. It's almost like there's always infighting among. And there's always a Halloween Jack. Yeah, there's always, there has to be a Halloween Jack in charge. These are the putties. So it's basically all the putties fighting for the number one spot on top of the, on top of an anthill. Glampire doesn't give a shit. He's just like, who's Halloween Jack? Nah, this? Who's? I mean, like, that's just the thing of, like, if we need to do that. While you boys have been fighting over who gets to wear the helmet, I've been sketching up some alternative head improvements. Try that on for size. I gave him these, like, little squishy mandible things, like uh, no upper lip, kind of scrunched in nose, hobgoblin-y sort of ears. Still Keeping got the, the greaser hair, hair. Yeah. The thing about the hair is I feel like it's just too human, though. Like, I get, like, I get it. Like, I get, but that's, I, you but know, that's the, the world we no, created, here's the thing. That's yeah. the That's the thing. Doug, we'll split the difference. It's a wig. It's not it's a like, wig. No, it's not a wig. All right. It's, wait, that's, it's, that's too silly. It's like, uh, oh, my wig. <laughs> it's like it's going to fly <laughs> off in battle. It's gonna be, I can't do it without my wig. Oh, oh, no. I'm not seeing a problem there. I like that direction for the face because, again, I like, just based on what we've been discussing, I like the idea that the the helmet, well, okay, the helmet again, ties in. Again, again, the question. What is he? Is he one of the freaks that just grew out of the earth? Yeah. Or is he or is he something that Glampire created? Or is this something that he brought in? He's just one of the he's myriad... He's the first of the freaks. Well, I mean, they don't have a long lifespan. He's far from the first, but he's one of the myriad genetic cesspool creatures. One of the peopleoids. They're just he's out just, there. He They're happens doing to be the thing. tallest. And he's the one who started, you know, running his own gang. And next, Glampire's like, well, you're running a gang for me now. He's one of several generals. He's the one who's cleaning up the streets, you know? Mm -hmm. He's like the sheriff of Nottingham. Like, we all agree on what his role is. It's just a matter now of coming down to design and origin. Which origin, we don't need to spend too much time thinking about that. We really don't. I just want to be Halloween able to... Halloween Jack 2 is, right. is far more interesting as where he starts. Right. I just want to be able to look at him and not wonder... Where like, did he come from? Well, yeah, because the point is that there's supposed to be no people. And if we look at something that looks too much like a person, it's like, well, wait, where are the rest? Well, I've always envisioned that these were people, that all these creatures, all these spider folk and all, you know, everything else, they're people, they have feelings, they grow weird roots out of the ground, they drink stinky water. It's <laughs> stinky water. <laughs> which is normal water for them, but for anybody else, it's right, stinky. Right, right, uh, right. You know, right. they're... Sitting in the dog show. Oh, oh, God! <laughs> but like, like, it's clear to lightning dogs or any other force that would come down to Earth you can't look at this and think this is a group of people. This is like a mother bears a child that is not at all what the mother looks like. And maybe right. she doesn't bear it. It hatches from a clutch of eggs. Well, that's it the thing. Like when Tony did the first Halloween abortion sketches, <laughs> these were like monsters, mm -hmm. like straight up monsters. Here's where I've been going to about these creatures since day one. Since Masters day one. of the universe. Every fucking thing that Skeletor threw at He-Man was a different freaky motherfucker right. with no background whatsoever. Yep. They were just there. And that's what these guys are. That's always what they've been to me, is that these are the people who populate the Earth now. Some of them might be more or less glorified bipedal animals. Some of them might actually be living together and feeling something that looks like love. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, I, and that, I and think that's, are like they that, hugging that, or are they fucking? I can't yeah. tell. Well, that's the thing that I, I'm, I still get. The one thing is when we're talking design-wise for Halloween Jack. Right. If he looks too much like a dude, I start to ask too many questions sure. that we don't have answers for. Well, Tony and I can hash out 
however many Halloween Jack sketches all the live right. long day, we'll pick one that works. Right. We know his role. We know who he is as a character. If his look seems too genuinely distracting for him to look humanish, then we have a problem. But we still want him to look cool. Like that's all yeah. the whole point. We just want everybody to look cool. I'm even down with like because we talked about costumes and weapons, like all that. Like I'm cool with all right. That. And the best way mm-hmm. to make costumes and weapons work is for him to have at least something resembling a human. Existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I agree. I, I still think Halloween Jack needs to be bipedaled, one head, two arms. Right. It's just as long as he's not like a guy who fell into a pile of acid and then came back up and now he just keeps walking. Like if you get these mandibles on him, if these are like straight up spider mandibles. Where it's like, oh, wait, his ancestor was a spider, not a person. But much like how the dogs eventually grew up to look more like people, I, I but this guy does. I feel that human genetics are a part of the soup that these things are coming from. I, yeah. It's maybe even a key ingredient. But, you know, yeah, not exclusively. To mention something that I did that's helped inspire a lot of recent developments for at least my take on the wasteland, which we'll be putting to the chopping block here to see how it goes down, mm-hmm. which is that I, I was in Chicago recently and I was fortunate enough to get to see the David Bowie is touring exhibit. It was originally at the uh, Victorian Albert Museum in England last year, and now it's touring the world with only one U.S. destination, and that was Chicago. It's an incredible, incredible, incredible presentation that I could go on and on about. You see the suit that he wore on the cover of Ziggy Stardust, every outfit you ever wanted to see. You want a, a crystal from Labyrinth with a special little stand for it that was made <laughs> by the Henson shop. They got everything there. It was incredible. Among the things that they had there, among the very mind-bending, incredible things that they had at this place was an animatic built from storyboards David Bowie himself drew for a film he never got to make called Hunger City, which was being developed around the same time of all the various projects that turned into the album Diamond Dogs. There was a couple things he was trying to do. One, he wanted to create a musical version of 1984, but the Orwell estate said no. And the other thing was this story about Hunger City, where Halloween Jack was the protagonist, and he and the, uh, the Peepaloids roller skated through this dystopian wasteland based on um, the underworld from Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Just kind of general purpose dystopian story. I don't know where he was going with it, but there's this opening sequence that was animated. There's lots of sketches from it in the uh, book that was made based on the uh, exhibit, which Doug and Tony are looking at right now. It's interesting to see this thing, Hunger City, Peepaloids, and a version of Halloween Jack that actually speaks to a lot of the things that we were sort of looking for when we initially created the idea of lightning dogs and jokingly threw in diamond dogs and Halloween Jack and and all that business. Like here is the post-apocalyptic world visually realized in a lot of sense. And this is not exactly what we were going for precisely, but as far as like misshapen buildings and squalor and all that, it does speak to maybe where these creatures would live. It also speaks to a lot of the science fiction that David Bowie was reading in the 1970s. It mentions specifically, and I think this, this might be something that we should all probably read this stuff at some point, Harlan Ellison's A Boy and His Dog, which is one of the, um, the books that was very influential to the creation of Fallout, as well as the, the film based on it. William Burroughs' The Wild Boys, A Book of the Dead, which I've never read, but Burroughs is really cool, and uh, this movie called The Omega Man, which is Charlton Heston believing he's the last man in the world, being all survivalist, and then fighting what looks like maybe vampires. It's kind of like it's a precursor to I Am Legend. Yeah it's, yeah, it's based off the same short story. Okay, that, that explains it, because I was looking at it, and I was like, this seems a lot like I Am Legend, you guys. Was, no, yeah, it was, it was it definitely based on the same thing. <laughs> One of the other things that inspired the Peepaloids was uh, Bowie reading stories about uh, Victorian urchins having lived on roofs and hidden in urban environments, which I think if we pursue that kind of like look and feel for these urban environments for the peepaloids, for lack of a better term, 
other than Halloween abortions, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, um, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we could see Halloween Jack as kind of an evil post-apocalyptic Peter Pan mm-hmm. in, a, in a certain way. Who's the guy from Oliver Twist who was in charge of the kids? Fagin. Fagin, yeah. He's like a, he's like a freak Fagin. Yeah, but I suppose with more for the sake of uh, charming the freaks and so on, Fagin, not a charismatic guy. Right, Halloween right. Jack, yeah. a little bit more like... Gives him purpose. Hey, come fly with me, Spider Mama. You know, like yeah, yeah. he's like the rock. He's, he's like me. he's like a rockabilly Bin Laden of the freak world. <laughs> rockabin Laden. Rockabin Laden. <laughs> 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 why, why is that in existence now? It's your fault. You're, yeah, you, you, sir. <laughs> I didn't say rockabin. <laughs> I can't. No, even you say just it you, set much, it up. you pretty much you said set that. It up. Yeah, yeah. You said. I set it up, Tony knocked it down. Bin Laden? Yeah. Wait a minute. You put some <laughs> chocolate in my peanut butter. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You should be. That yeah. is not a character. Rocket Bin Laden will not be a character. One other point of reference, not for Bowie, but featuring Bowie, that could be highly influential, but we haven't yet watched it, is the 1980s film The Hunger, where he does play a vampire. <laughs> That's uh, right. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. So the world of the wasteland, David Bowie and all that stuff, there's lots of little things floating around, more influences from Bowie. And again, I'm a huge David Bowie fan, so no. I'm, I'm all about the, <laughs> I'm, I'm all about Since when? incorporating as much of this Bowie stuff as possible, but also I don't want to make David Bowie the cartoon. You know? No, like, yeah. Well, I think I figured out what my problem was with making Halloween Jack look like a human and trying to incorporate the influence of like Hunger City, but not that. Right. If we have any bad guys, especially if they're peopleoids. Now, not just the name, but just the idea of things that maybe were people at some point. I think that might be getting a little dark where our heroes are the lightning dogs and they're fighting things that I would pity. If I pity them too much, I start to think, do they have to fight? And suddenly I start getting conflicted. Whereas if they're straight up monsters, that's why when we're talking about the Halloween abortion, spider people, Cyclops people, and if they stumble across a village of a few of them, they're going to get ready to fight, but then you, the audience, go, whoa, 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 whoa. They're not fighting. They're, like, scared of the lightning dogs. They're, like, huddling around a campfire and huddling in, into a mud hut. Suddenly so you're like, wait a minute. What the hell? Like, what? Well, that gives the lightning dogs something more to fight for because right. they, they realize that, you know, these are people and that maybe Glampire's rule is cruel. You right. Know? But up until that point, if they're looking too much like people, I'm going to be like, I don't know how I feel about this. It's not like when you watch Star Wars Rebels and they kill a couple stormtroopers because they're faceless, but they're also loyal to an evil empire. You didn't have to join the empire. You could have joined the rebellion. There's, you know, it's a little bit more basic. But when you're on a planet where you got an evil glampire, if you'd suddenly drop me through a portal and I'm on the wasteland, I'd probably work for glampire. Not because I think he's got great ideas, but because he's probably the only guy who's got food. Right. So I think that that line of thinking, it gets a little dark for something that's like lightning dogs, where it's like, no, we like we like Glampire. Like we like kicking ass. You know, like we like being mean. So if you have Halloween Jack and his guys going around roughing up some of the freaks, being like, "Hey, you know, why don't you give us some of your uh, crystals that you've been growing? Come on, cough up the crystals, and then we give you the food or whatever." You can then join the Lightning Dogs. You can see why Lightning Dogs got to intervene and save these things that are even freaks. Right. This was going to lead into a goal that the Lightning Dogs have more than just we got to get home. If everybody just got to get home, everyone's got to get home. Lightning Dogs are trying to build a way to get the, rebuild a Farfetch to go back home. At the same time, they know they can't go until Glampire is defeated. We have them meeting all of these people. We have them meeting the Plant Guy, which I created a name for, which I'll get to when we give it, if we talk about him. We got a meeting Plant Guy, Robots, Queen Lich, Ninja Cats, all of these different beings, Captain Scrap. What if their goal is to overthrow Glampire and they say, we can't do this unless we get some help? 
we got to go and talk to the robots. We got to go and talk to Queen Lich. We got to convince these people that Glampire's bad. We're the good guys. And no one's going to be free until Glampire is gone. And then it becomes them trying to get people to work together to overthrow Glampire. Some of them are going to volunteer. Some of them are going to fight for Glampire. And this could ultimately lead to the big battle, the big siege of the Glampire's five armies. Trademark yeah. lightning dogs? Yeah, yeah. Trademark <laughs> lightning dogs. Not quite. But but the battle, it would be a big battle. Glampire right. and the people who remain loyal to him and the lightning dogs and the people who they were able to sway to work for them. So you'd get things like the plant guy, you'd get the robots, because the robots sure as shit don't like Glampire. But on Glampire's side, you'd have Halloween Jack, his minions, but maybe on the lightning dog side, you got some of the freaks that used to work for Glampire. And right. the ninja cats are probably, get, ninja cats might work for Glampire, samurai cats probably work for lightning dogs. So you could see the mythology growing and moving to a point of conflict that could right. be a really interesting dramatic point, especially if they're like, look, we're on this planet. We can't do it by ourselves, but it seems more heroic to be like, not only are we going home, but we're erasing the bad thing that was here before, thereby being loyal to Earth, loyal to the masters, clean up the mess that the humans couldn't do, even though the humans are long gone. What you passing around, Tony? Some Halloween Jack drawings? Tony, um, you draw so well. I didn't know you could draw. <laughs> Tony's drawings here, the thing that sold me, because uh -huh. this you could be like, Doug, that still looks kind of like a guy, but it's different enough because you got the pointy ears, mm -hmm. you got the spider mandibles, you got kind of a, almost like a Voldemort nose, and you got these white eyes. And I'm like, I'm sated. To me, that's different enough to be like, all right, well, that's not a person. Okay. So that's, uh, is, does that make sense? Yeah, like I, I'm just, I just found it, it so... It's very along with what, along line of what, what I drew to yeah. appease your desires as it was. Because so. it was, because mm -hmm. I, no, I, I, I realized just... I was, I, I was, it was very hard for me to explain the nuance of like the line between human and monster. If you make him too much of a monster, then the rockability thing's out the window. Tony's design skills, once again, save the day. The only thing I would say is maybe sharp teeth? You think about sharp teeth or regular teeth? Oh, I'm thinking that you never actually see his teeth. Well, he's got a smile every now and then. He's Halloween Jack. They would be sharp. They would be anime sharp when you see it like. Because he's, yeah, spidery, monstery. Mm -hmm. No, and I went, it was less spider and actually more ant, an ant mandible. That's those, fucking like, cool, dude. Ants, yeah, ants good too. Because it was, it was just something that we could do with his jaw. Dude, even if he doesn't have white eyes, then give him the fucking ant eyes. I think the is that too white, much? Too much. Too much? Not, and we'll, we'll have other... then he is, well, yeah, you're right, because then he is just a giant fucking ant. He's a bug. <laughs> he's no, he's but, just I a mean, giant bug honestly, at that the, point. the ant was something that I was kind of tying into because yeah. he's the head of this army. So ah, a lot of kind of non-thinking. Getting psychological there. It's a lot of people who are weak by themselves, but as a yeah, yeah. group. I think we got to be careful to not dip too much into the insect bag for Halloween Jack. No, you're right. It, yeah, it, yeah. It runs contrary no, I mean, to everything we built with him. No, it's mm. just, I think, I just, just the inspiration that and of just it. The, yeah. The, yeah. the genesis of why ant mandibles. I still think he needs to be green or a skin. He doesn't, he's not an exoskeleton. He's not a, I don't want to look at him and think ant. He can't be orange because the color palette of the wasteland itself will like kind of to be orange. Deserty. Yeah. True enough. So yeah. on. We're going in a good direction. I'm happy. I'm happy with the direction this is going. Yeah, I think we might even be able to create a mandible that's not distinctly insect. Right. Yeah. Right. Something weird. It's super yeah. weird. I want it to be a hard mandible because if if it's like jowly, then we get into we get into Zoidberg territory. <laughs> you don't want that. Why not? Oh, what is that lightning dog? You keep throwing your trash out, Glampire. Perhaps <laughs> I you keep could, reading it. <laughs> perhaps you could throw out a sandwich. <laughs> Next episode, we elaborate on other life native to the wasteland and turn our gaze back to the lightning dogs themselves to consider what their mission actually was in coming to Earth. What did they know, and when did they know it? And then, of course, there's our past selves' big reveal for the future of lightning dogs. 
an announcement that even after careful consideration was a severe misstep. We're all about full disclosure here on the official podcast. The house lights are up, and all our fumbles and flaws are on full display. If you like what you hear, warts and all, and want to get a direct line to the action-packed world of our Lightning Dogs brainstorming, then join the pack. Your funding on Patreon is essential to us being able to make Lightning Dogs a real thing. Not just paving the road to us being an actual animated series, but also funding other projects in between to bring the dogs to life, like comics, concept art, or episode animatics, like the one you may have seen in our Patreon video that Max Cree animated of the lightning rod swerving into action. It also sincerely helps when you share your love for lightning dogs via your social feeds, telling a friend, or rating and reviewing on iTunes. We're going to need all the support we can get as we work towards our goals of funding the costs that it takes just for lightning dogs to exist, or getting Doug to quit his job so he can work on lightning dogs full-time, and then, of course, the extra special project we're working towards, having Greg Weissman, creator of Gargoyles, co-creator of Young Justice, review our pitch Bible and advise us on how we should move forward. He's agreed to do it, but he can't do it for free. So join our pack on patreon.com slash lightning dogs to help us create more content. And you'll receive a lot in return, too, including early release episodes, concept art, high-res production materials, exclusive recordings, and anything else we can dig up. Join us next time as we continue the adventures of the Lightning Dogs. Thanks for listening to Lightning Dogs, the official podcast presented by Nerdy Show. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes, like and follow us on SoundCloud and Audioboom, or subscribe and stream on Google Play. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows in the Nerdy Show network alive by telling a friend or funding us via Patreon. At patreon.com slash nerdyshow, you can fund the whole Nerdy Show network and unlock a plethora of amazing bonus content and early releases. And at patreon.com slash lightning dogs, you can fund the further development of the entire lightning dogs universe from podcasts to animation while getting all kinds of behind the scenes bonus materials and extras to find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other nerdy show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. Be sure to follow nerdy show and lightning dogs on all your favorite social networks, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. We're on all of them. Just search for lightning. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Their Ooh. forces combined form lightning dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And uh I can do that every time we Um Judgmental over there. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.